Let me explain this. Explain this stool. Whether it's a combination of low circulation or low blood pressure, I don't know. But I'm like a fainting goat. And I can almost faint on just on call. So I'll keep that stool there and I'd rather sit down on it than lay down here on the but anyway, yeah, yeah. Don't don't get around me because I may fall on you. In fact, when I was in the Navy, I fell, passed out several times, and after the second or third one, they gave me a little card, and it says, "Don't let this guy stand in formation." And it was wonderful because I carried it for the whole time I was in the Navy, and I didn't I didn't have to stand in formation. It worked perfectly. First, I want to thank you for how you've treated me. Coming here, it was wonderful. You guys are great. The love that you've shown me. Some of you won't remember. No, probably none of you will remember. I came here and visited once before in 1960. I was just a kid. I think Jerry Chenault was preaching here at that time. And it's a wonderful place. Why does it do that? Don't get too comfortable because we're not going to be here that long. Today's the day when you'll probably beat those Methodists to the eating places. Someone once told me there was no such thing as a bad short sermon. So that's why I live by And notice it didn't say I would be preaching. It just said I would be talking. Tell you about my friend. I have a friend named Todd Blish. He just retired from the highway patrol. He's now the chief of police at Bigsby. But when he first started, the story goes that he was doing traffic. And this car came by. And he couldn't even see the driver for obstructions in the car. So he pulled him over, went up, to the, went up to the window. The guy rolls down the window and he says, Todd says, I can't let you go on. You can't even see out. And the guy said, well, I know that. But he said, I inherited these penguins. If I leave them at home, they'll tear up everything. So I have to take them with me everywhere I go. And Todd said, well, did you ever think about taking them to the zoo? And the guy said, you know, I never thought about that. I appreciate it. I will do it, and I will do it today. Todd said, well, I'm going to let you go. If you promise me you'll take them to the zoo. He said, I will. So a few days later, Todd was at the same place, approximately, and this car came back by. Same thing. He couldn't see the driver for the penguins. So he pulled him over again. He said, sir, I thought you told me you were going to take them to the zoo. The guy said, I did, and they loved it. Today I'm taking them to the circus. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. If I had to give us a title... It would be unbelievable grace. 
I used to call it the foolishness of grace, but I got in trouble for that. So I'll say the unbelievableness of grace. You don't have to hold up your hands, but think about it. How many of you truly believe that you are saved by grace? Oh, you're going to hold it up anyway. Okay, that's great. How many of you felt once you were saved that you needed to do something? You needed to do something because you were so happy that you were saved. I find that the biggest problem for most Christians is accepting grace. You know what a grace period is. See, when you buy life insurance and you forget to make the payment, there's a period of time in there, it's called a grace period. So if something happens, you're okay because you're forgiven for that, for that short period of time. We can understand that. It's a grace period. Nothing bad is going to happen during that period. But why is it so hard for us to accept grace, the greatest gift that could be given to us? I'll come back to that in a minute. Remember that. Years ago, a wonderful thing happened to me. I was invited to go to Alaska, 21 other people, to hold a vacation Bible school. We were going to the Calvary Baptist Church in Anchorage. And we were warned when we went that it was a dying church. It was a huge church, huge building. A few years earlier, they'd have 500 people at Sunday service. But when we got there and did our opening that Sunday morning, we had more people than they did. So anyway, when it came time for the opening ceremony to be over for the vacation Bible school, the teachers all took their kids and went to their various classrooms. And I was left with the adults. There were six of them. Six adults, three men, three women. And the church had the center pew probably as long as these two together. And when they left, those, those six people, there was one on each end of the pew. I don't think they liked each other. But anyway, I stumbled through that evening and they didn't pay any attention. I probably didn't either. But I made a place for us to go this evening, the next evening. So I went downstairs and found a room that had the table and some chairs, and we moved down there. I, I threw away the BBS material because they weren't the least bit interested in it. I was fishing around for something to use this for material when one of the ladies held up her hand and said I got a question she said my sister and I were both saved when we were very young she said I try to do what's right I go to church when I can but she said my sister she doesn't go to church she never has she lives a very shady lifestyle is she saved? Wow. What a question. Before I could even answer, though, the chairman of the deacons, they only had two deacons, and one of them was in there, and he was the chairman. Well, he started talking. 
kind of some Baptist theology and a little homespun, whatever. But it gave me time to think. So when he finally stopped talking, I said, let's go to... I get lost here. I go to chapter 20 of Matthew. And I won't read it all to you, but you remember it. It's the story of the workers. In the very early morning, the guy takes them out to the field to work. Then, about 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes and gets some more workers and brings them. Then, about noon, he gets some more. And finally, at 5 o'clock, he brings in the last of them. And you remember the story. At the end of the day, he paid them. But he paid them all the same amount of money. And they began to complain. And he says, when, or says, when they got, I'm going to read verse 11, when they got their coin, they complained to the man who owned the land. They said, these people were hired last to work only one hour. But you paid them the same you paid us, who worked hard all day in the hot sun. But the man who owned the, work, the vineyard said to them, Friend, I'm being fair to you. You agreed to work for one coin. So take your pay and go. I will give the man who was hired last the same pay I gave you. I can do what I want with my own money. Are you jealous because I'm good to those people? Well, you know the story and you, you know what it means. Regardless of when you come aboard, you're going to get the same reward. We're going to all get the same reward whether we've worked one hour or whether we've worked all our lives. And I felt guilty because that was probably not the best illustration I could come up with. But I didn't really know. What was she really asking me? What she was really asking was, are we saved by grace or are we saved by performance? Why is it so hard for us to accept grace? You think about it. The only time that you really live in a period of grace is when you're first born. What do you do? You cry, sleep, eat, make messes, and somebody cleans it up. And what did you do to deserve this? Nothing. Isn't that grace? That sounds like grace to me. And you live in that period for a little while, but then finally you move into the next phase, which we'll call childhood. And what happens there? You have to, you have to start performing. You perform and you get rewards. Some of your performance may bring bad rewards, but you get rewarded, don't you? Then the next big step in your life is when you go to school. Now, I spent 40 years in public schools, 35 as a superintendent. And I didn't see much grace, if any, in public school. What do you do? You work hard. You get rewarded with grades, promotions. You do bad things, and what happens? You get punished. But it's all based on performance. So we're used to it, aren't we? By now, we're used to performance. Some of us became real good performers. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the principal's office. That's why I wanted to be an administrator. 
Then you may go on to college or trade school, and it's going to be the same thing. Performance, performance. It's your lifestyle. Then the next stage might be marriage. How many of you's marriage is based on grace? I didn't think so. Yeah, you have to be very... No. Sorry, marriages are based on performance. She cooks, you mow the lawn. She takes care of the kids in the house, you change the oil in the car. It's based on performance. If you don't perform to remember anniversaries, birthdays, you remember what happens? Oh, yeah. It's all performance. And it's not grace. See, that doesn't give you any grace. How about in the work area? Do any of you have grace in your work area? No. No. We're judged in the workplace by our performance, aren't we? Even at church, where we talk about grace all the time and we understand grace, the workers are still based on performance. Be it Clay or David or Levi, their performance depends on how long they'll be here. It's not based on grace. I'm sorry. But what if you were the boss? You're the boss. And you call the workers in and you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make something new now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna treat you with grace. You don't have to do anything. But I know you will, and I will pay you. But you don't have to. In fact, you don't even have to come to work. I'll send your pay to you. How long do you think that'll work? It won't, will it? Won't work. Because we're used to performance. We know it won't work. So that explains to me why it's so hard for us to accept grace in our religious life. It's because it's, it's so out of character to the rest of our lives. Because everything else we do is based on our performance. Then we come across something like Matthew chapter 19 to confuse us a little bit. A man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good, what good thing must I do to live forever? And Jesus answered, Why do you ask me about what's good? Only God is good. But if you want to have life forever, obey the commands. And the man asked, well, what commands? And Jesus answered, you must not murder anyone. You must not be guilty of adultery. You must not steal. You must not tell lies about your neighbor. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the young man said, well, I've obeyed all these things. What else do I need to do? And Jesus said, if you would be perfect, then go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. If you do this, you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. You remember what the young man did? He went away sorrowfully because he was very rich. Now, Jesus doesn't ask you and I to do that. But he knew that young man's heart. And he knew what he needed to do in order to be perfect. Sell your goods. Sell that thing that's keeping you 
from being the person you can be. That sounds like performance, doesn't it? But like I said, Christ didn't ask you and I to do that. Back to the lady in Alaska. She was asking the exact same question. Is my sister saved even though there's no evidence of performance? And as much as we hate to do it, the answer is yes. I love what Daniel says. He says, your ticket's punched. And when you get your ticket punched, that's it. You're going, all right? And it makes it tough to explain sometimes. What is our definition of grace? We all learned it. Unmerited favor. That's what it was, isn't it? Romans 3.24 says, All and all need to be made right with God by his grace, which is a free gift. They need to be made free from sin through Jesus Christ. Acts 15.11 But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved even as they. And then bear with me, I want to read some Romans. Romans chapter 6. So do you think we should, look, this is the answer to something. Okay, so grace covers my sin. Grace takes away my sin. That's wonderful. So the natural question is, so do you think we should continue sinning so that we can get even more grace? That's a logical question, isn't it? And Paul says, no, we died to our old sinful lives. So how can we continue living with sin? Did you forget that all of us became part of Christ when we were baptized? We shared his death in, his, in our baptism. When we were baptized, we were buried with Christ and shared his death. So just as Christ was raised from the dead by the wonderful power of the Father, we also can live a new life. Christ died and we have been joined with him by dying also. So we will also be joined with him by rising from the dead as he did. So it's a symbol. Remember? I explained that to you when you were baptized. We know that our old self, our old life died with Christ on the cross so that our sinful selves would have no power over us and we would not be slaves to sin. Anyone who has died is made free from sin's control. Another way of saying that is dead men don't sin. Dead men don't sin. If we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. Christ was raised from the dead, and we know that he cannot die again. Death has no power over him now. Yes, when Christ died, he died to defeat the power of sin one time. Enough for all time. He now has a new life, and his new life is with God. In the same way, you should see yourselves as being dead to the power of sin and alive with God through Christ Jesus. So do not let sin control your life here on earth so that you do what your sinful self wants to do. In conclusion, you'd like to hear that, don't you? In conclusion, Ephesians 2.8, so very clear. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. So please quit trying to earn it. 
It's nice to be appreciative. It's nice to do things because you're appreciative. But quit thinking you have to. Quit thinking that you have to. You have the grace. And the other thing is quit trying to judge our brothers and sisters by our lives. If they don't act like us, there's probably a reason. And that's what that lady was trying to do in Alaska. How come my sister doesn't act like me? I don't know the answer. But I do know the answer. The scripture says that she's saved. If she was saved, then she's saved. Her ticket's punched. So quit worrying about it. So how do I get that grace, you might ask? You know, it's really so simple that we miss it so much. When we went through evangelism training years ago, they knew we weren't very bright. So they tried to make it easy for us. They said, can you remember Romans 10.10? Yeah, I can remember Romans 10.10. So in reality, you go to Romans 10.10 and then back up a couple of verses, but that was easy. Because in Romans chapter 10, verse 8, this is what the scripture says. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That's the teaching of faith that we are telling. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. We believe with our hearts, and so we are made right with God. And we declare with our mouths that we believe, and so we are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be disappointed. And that's how you receive grace. And then they taught us a very simple prayer. And they called it the sinner's prayer. You want to be saved, you, you pray the sinner's prayer. It's very simple. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Lord, come into my heart and save me. Couldn't be any simpler, could it? Mm. David's going to come and lead us in a, a song of invitation. And Kevin's going to come up here and receive anyone that needs to come up here. The altar's open if you just want to come and pray. But if you need some help, Kevin will be here to help you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you've been so good to us. We thank you that you sent Jesus. We're sorry that he had to die, but because of that, we can receive the grace and we can receive the salvation and that we can be happy and live forever. We pray that if someone has a decision to make, that you will be with them, that you will send your spirit to give them the courage to make that decision that would everyone that leaves here will know you as their personal Savior. This we ask and the praise we give in the name of Jesus. Amen.